Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song and my songs Gon' break through like a running back Good evening and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Sunday, March 26, 2023. Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton here to idly pass time and chit-chat about all things Formula One and then some. Hopefully and 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 then some is a thing. But I saw the outline, Hammy. You put a bunch of stuff in there besides Formula One. So looking forward to uh, jumping to this one. But first off, how's your weekend been? A non-Formula One weekend but I guess we're going to kind of have to get used to this because after <laughs> Australia, we're going to be drafting to fill a lot of empty weekends in between, right? Well, first and foremost, happy Nike Air Max Day. It is March 26th. It's a holiday, an event I've never heard of, despite being a so-called sneakerhead. But apparently today is the day that Nike Max Air or Nike Air Max fans celebrate and Nike releases new drops. And I guess it marks the anniversary hmm. of the first Nike Air Max shoe in uh, August, I guess March 26th of 1987. Now, this is related to F1, and when we get into the stories a little bit later, I'll explain how, but I thought it was the perfect time to tee this up, but my weekend was good. Watched a lot of MotoGP, and we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to MotoGP Corner, but we had enough stories that we thought we could throw an extra episode in here, and you know, it's that old expression that while the shark is hot, the swimming is good. I, I'm not sure of the expression, but there's a lot of focus and attention on <laughs> F1 right now. And it made sense to do an extra podcast this week. My friend, I know you've had a crazy weekend. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Just uh, I, I'm looking forward to the next couple of months. Like as we were talking about off air, like it's, it's going to be personally very busy, my schedule, but I, I can see things opening up in about two and a half months. So it's going to be a bit of a grind between now and then. And certainly, although this, you know, the, 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 summer break that isn't really a summer break when it happens in April for Formula One, but still is a break early in the season because China got cancelled. Doesn't mean that we're not going to do shows, but at least I, I, I feel like there'll be like a little bit less pressure because it sort of takes a little bit totally off of agree. us, like, you know, totally having to agree. prep for all the races and things like that. I mean, that doesn't mean I'm not going to miss it, but we'll have to punch things up on the fly, so to speak. But yeah, looking forward to, I, I just like doing these shows, you know, I, I feel like the, the vibe is a little bit more chill. It's a little bit more laid back compared to say like a, a normal Sunday after, after a race where we kind of dissect and go through every single thing that happened from the formation lap all the way around to the the checkered flag so this is kind of cool looking forward to, to doing this so first of all i know you're dying to give a fantasy update uh, you know i'm surprised after 
this year after they, they opened up entry like the the entries so late that we still managed to get 900 entrance into our f1 league i mean that's not even half of what we had last week or last year but considering the compressed time frame i uh, you know I'm, I'm pretty happy that we got 900 people uh, to to sign up and a big shout out to to Tis, who has uh, supplied us with the grand prize and autographed max verstappen half scale helmet and you got to go check out Tis. you got to go check out his website show him some love he's been extremely generous to furnish us with a prize for this community, check them out at racingexclusives.com. It's it, it's awesome. And I know Tease is going to shortly be taking a lot of my money. So there's that. Just don't tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the preamble, by the way. It actually gave me enough time to get the F1 Fantasy site open. It's been a little bit more reliable this year than last. But I agree. Don't we say that. They will lot come of, back. I know, Karma will get wood. us. Karma's knock will on get. carbon fiber. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Knock on carbon fiber. But yeah, I, I agree that last year, and maybe we didn't, but it felt like we had weeks of a runway to get people yep. into the pool. But yeah, with this time we had basically days instead of weeks and to get 900 people was fantastic. And of those 900 people, just quickly running through a couple that are currently leading the pack, friend of the show, longtime listener, Bengals Bub is currently number one, followed by Audi F1 team, Aston Gives You Wings, Charles CL, Free Ukraine, Green Bull Romeo, Mikey Bears, Jesse H, The Bad Guy One, Long Ships, Fire Ferrets, Nathan's Team, Jeff Payne, Mr. Saucy Nug, Radio Check, Jemapel, Yuki, Merci, The Bad Guy Bye Bye, Roberto F1, Brooklyn Scuderia, who I think might be friend of the show, Seth, I think. And then finally, the Albon night so some really really great news stories there for folks and again if you feel disenchanted if you feel like you haven't made a big impact in the pool yet don't give up make sure you lock in your team every single mm-hmm. week there are still 21 races left to go and like you said that prize from Tease is just unbelievable a signed one half scale max Verstappen golden helmet it is fire plus he's also furnished us with the prize for next year but we won't give that away until the following off season but yeah super super excited plus, i'm currently sitting 160 i was gonna say please plus the the the, the helmet comes with the COA, so you know that what we're giving you is legit. So this is the real deal. Yeah. So Max Verstappen fans, well, I mean, anybody would be like, you know, I know Max could be a polarizing figure, but love him or hate him, that would be, you know, a prize to go in anybody's, you know, Formula One uh, collection. I was just going to say that, you know, uh, you know, the way that I jumped up the, through the order, I was like five something. I moved up to like about a hundred and something spots just, and I didn't even change bad, my team. Man. Yeah. Af- after, you know, after two races, but I've made some changes. Like I said on Thursday, you know, I'm not going to throw shade at Lando, but I'm, I'm just not seeing very much, uh, not very many positive things happening at the, the, the MTC. So decided to dump Lando for now. I'm, I'm keeping my, uh, my, my team a little bit secret. Because if I've stumbled onto the willing formula, which, you know, full disclosure, I haven't, you know, I'm going to try because I'm going to try. Even though I can't claim that the helmet, I'm, I got bragging rights here. I want to at least, you know, give the impression I'm trying to do. But I was going to ask you, do we know who Green Bull Romeo is? Because I love that name because I feel there's a lot to unpack with that name, Green Bull Romeo. There, there's a lot going on there. Anyways, we, we could come back to that another time. Uh, another thing, just we want to show, um, you know, shout out to another one of our partners, the Race Weekend Magazine. You know, Magnus and his crew do an outstanding job. We love what they're producing. This, you know, it's not even a magazine. I mean, it's this 
basically a soft cover coffee table book is the best way that yes, that I yes, can describe perfect it. Perfect description. You know, and, and this is a must have as well. We both love it. We both subscribe. So go check it out, theraceweekend.com. And raceweekend is R-A-C-E-W-K-N-D.com. Enter in our promo code ScuderiaPod at checkout. You'll get 10% off. And that just sweetens the deal. And plus, we get a little bit of a commission back, which we are throwback into the show. And as uh, Hammy told you guys the other day, we've commissioned an amazing artist to help us with our rebrand and get some very, very nice looking was what you called assets. For me, I'm just I look at things. I'm just like, wow, that's awesome. So that's uh, that, that you're directly helping us, you know, if, if you go in on that. So um, and then, of course, the other way that you, if you want to support the show and it, this is easy, it doesn't cost anything except maybe 30 seconds of your time. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever. Leave us a five star rating and review helps keep the show uh, relevant and uh, you know, visible for others. And we just we love talking about Formula One and we love talking about it with you guys and the community that's grown up around this podcast. That's why we do it uh, each and every week. So, Hammy, anything else to add, or should we jump into what we've got uh, lined up, what we've got teed up uh, for for tonight? Okay, I'm getting the head nod and the silent treatment like five minutes into the show. Usually, <laughs> usually, <laughs> usually that's about an hour fifty. So, the first thing before we jump in, I'm going to take this one because I thought this was a really cool graphic. Yep. So, this one comes from F1 Stats Guru, and it basically captures the results of every Formula One driver who scored 100 podiums. And what it does is it captures their position, their race classification in their 101st podium finish. So dating back to 1993, Alain Prost, his 101st podium was a P1 finish. Pretty impressive. 2002 Michael Schumacher, his 101st podium, first place. 2016 Lewis Hamilton, his 101st podium, P1. 2018, Sebastian Vettel, his 101st podium, P1. 2018 also, his Ferrari teammate, Kimi Raikkonen, his 101st podium, P1. And now finally, Fernando Alonso, currently sitting on 100 podiums. The question mark will be, can he continue that unbelievable streak of scoring a P1 race classification for his 101st podium finish? Only time will tell. And I am not ruling anything out when it comes to Australia. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, especially when it comes to like these uh, street circuits. I mean, just, uh, you know, logic sort of tells you at some point this this really cool stat. I mean, hats off to F1 Stats Guru for coming up with that one because that I didn't even think that was a, a thing, but I feel like this uh, should have been on all of our radar screens a lot sooner. But th- that would be very cool. I mean, just I-, I think the odds against Fernando doing it are, you know, probably more in favor of him not oh, doing yeah, it. It's but, probably not yeah. going to happen. But it would but be it amazing would be if cool he could. If yeah. I mean, if he could perpetuate this cool stat, it would be fantastic. But I was looking back at those names like Alan Prost, Schumacher, Lewis, Seb, and then Kimmy. And looking at all of them, I mean, that's interesting that Seb and Kimmy both did it in 2018. I, you know, I have to go and look exactly and dive into that for which uh, Seb's 101st podium was. But Kimmy's must have been when he won at Coda that year at the U.S. Grand Prix, which was the last right, time. his that, final Grand yeah, Prix victory. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then Lewis, of course, you know, have to dive back into the 2016 season and see whereabouts that is. I mean, 
going back to Shuby, that was- Could have been pretty much half of the races that year. Oh, yeah, exactly, right? But I'd be going back to Schumacher. I mean, that's already 21 years ago, 2002. And then Alain Prost, uh, oh my God, 30 years ago. (laughs) I feel, I officially feel old now. I mean, you see Alain on the uh, the podium. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's, 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 I mean, yeah, there's like, there, you can see Joe Camel on his overalls. So, I mean, it just goes to show how things have changed. And you see a ball burrow on Shuby's overalls, and then they've disappeared until you see Kibby's with the, uh, the the subtle, not so subtle. Unfortunately, the Mission Widow. Yeah. The unfortunate, the Mission Widow graphic uh, for 2018. Yeah. <sighs> Sigh. Let's move on. But anyways, you know, cool, cool stat uh, notwithstanding. So the the first story that uh, that you found uh, today is uh, Red Bulls. Uh, this is an article that uh, you found on racefans.net and it was written by uh, Keith uh, Collentine and the article is uh, titled Red Bulls Dominance Risks Triggering the Reaction They Are Anxious to Avoid. What is that the uh, the the reaction that everybody seems to hate them and and it's funny, right? Because I mean, two races in, they've been pretty dominant. They were, you know, very impressive in preseason testing, but the tone and the vibe is very different to the run. I, I mean, 2014 was different because it was a new era. Mercedes surprised everyone. Then in 15, it was kind of control C, control V, copy, paste, copy, paste, all the way up to, to basically 2021, right? And I mean, of course, the, the, the teens were interspersed with wins from like Red Bull and Ferrari and, and nobody else. But it was a lot of uh, uh, Mercedes uh, dominance, but it's it's interesting now that we're two races into 2023, and it's it's funny because it's um, I don't know. It seems like a little bit of a, a different vibe. But why don't you take it from here, Mark? I'm I'm anxious to hear your. No, tone. I think you you did a great job of setting up this conversation, and I I don't think it's too early because, like you said, we're two races into a 23 race championship, and I think the concern here is that Liberty and the FIA and the teams and the sacrifices and the compromises that many of them made. We're hoping that by this point in 2023, we would have a much more competitive championship. And of course, I think, I guess it would be late 2016, early 2017, Liberty takes over Formula One and they don't have a relationship with the teams and they don't have a relationship with Liberty, but they knew that from a competitive spirit perspective, the championship was broken, but it was never going to be an easy fix and led by Ross Braun and some other incredibly smart people at FOM, they devised a batch of strategies that were going to help create competitive balance. One of them was, of course, the the cost cap. One of them was revisiting the the regulations and reimagining how a, a Formula One car should look and how it should cut through the air and how it should spray dirty air to the car behind it. They did all of these different things. And of course, in 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21, like you said, That was very much copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. Now, I know that the regulations changed in 2017, but it was largely copy, paste, copy, paste. And really, FOM's vision, the FIA's vision for a new F1 championship really didn't materialize until 2022. And we also knew that some teams were going to understand the the mission that some teams were going to get a better grasp of the rules sooner than other teams would. But I think that the concern now is... It's 2023 and Red Bull looks totally unstoppable. Mm -hmm. So if you ask, if you pull somebody from the FIA side or FOM or the teams and ask them quite honestly, is, is this what you would have been hoping for or what you would have been expecting early in the 23 championship? I don't think anybody would say, 
yes, this is this is acceptable or this is what we'd expect that that a team would be streaking away by a second lap in any given Grand Prix. Like it's not a good place to be. And I was having a conversation with somebody the other day in in F1 media, and he made this really kind of stark point that I think I think the attention, I think the focus, I think the F1 audience has peaked, that there's more that the FOM group can do to extract value from the existing audience, but it's probably not going to grow much more. And it's going to be stunted by what we're seeing on track. And this isn't me trying to take a shot and, and fire and lob cannonballs over to Milton Keynes in the direction of Red Bull. It's just, this is the circumstance. And it's really hard to imagine a way. And there's actually one story that we'll get to a little bit later that kind of speaks to how some tweaks could be made, but it's hard to imagine a situation in which these other teams are able to catch up given the constraints of the cost cap itself. So I'm worried and and I, I don't want to be I don't want to be an alarmist because I want people to keep tuning into the show and I'm confident that all these smart people and with all this money on the line they're going to figure something out but right now I'm I'm deeply concerned that Red Bull has such a significant advantage on the rest of the field and I know you and I haven't talked about this but your honest impression so far are you a little bit concerned for the championship or are you like a lot of people and it's just at this point, it's a foregone conclusion that Red Bull is going to take a couple of championships this year. We're just we're just along for the ride to see what else could transpire. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Yeah, I really kind of feel that way as well, unfortunately. And it, it, it's kind of funny because I feel that I've, I've just replaced Mercedes with Red Bull in the when it comes to making our predictions for, for races that it's just like an, until proven otherwise, I, I'm not willing to put my, you know, my money on somebody else other than Max. And if Max has an off day, which literally never happens, it's going to be Checo. And I mean, if Max has an issue, it's going to be something like we saw in, in, um, in Saudi two weeks last week when he had the issue in qualifying with the drive shaft and then you know he's starting further back uh, down on the grid i mean otherwise you almost have to think that he's going to be a regular on on p1 to start the race on pole and basically driving off into the distance which we saw lewis do for a lot of years but i was thinking about this too that i think that part of the frustration comes from like you so nicely laid out in the last couple of minutes mark just to do with the the new era the new formula that this wasn't supposed to happen uh, and also because of the cost cap and all that but i think that part of the the vocalization of of I don't know, frustration, disappointment. I, I think it comes from the fact, too, that when you compare Mercedes and Red Bull, 
you know, one-on-one and take all the different championships away from each other. Just, just compare them as a team and the public facing side of the team. Mercedes is infinitely more likable than Red Bull. Toto is much more likable and more personable than, than Christian Horner. I mean, Christian has like a real edgy bit the part to him right i think that toto even says in dts he's like a jack russell terrier and then you look um you look like even like nikki lauda very likable lewis guy who transcends the sport you know for for so many reasons and max you know we, we've talked about max and the way that he presents in public you know he can be quite brunt or blunt and quite brusque and things like that and i think that's part of it too is that that people don't like red bull especially the neutral fans i think don't like red bull compared to mercedes so i think that's part of it too i think it's a perception thing so that that's just an observation and i know that how a team presents on the pr side doesn't really have you know it's kind of separate from what happens on the track but that's what i think i think part of it is that you know compared one-on-one people in general are more like they're they're willing to take it more from Mercedes than they are from Red Bull because Mercedes the good guys and Red Bull not so much the good guys. You know what I mean? I'm, or am I off base here? What do you think? No, 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 no. I I totally I totally get where you're going with that, and I think we have to be careful because you you don't want to become you don't want to come across as unbiased yeah. in, in this particular way, but I hear what you're saying. And it's interesting because over the weekend, there was a quote from Christian Horner where he complained that one of the reasons why Red Bull is less likable, despite being a British mm-hmm. team, is because they don't have a British driver. I'm just like, that's honestly not the case, man. It's just that, and I'm sitting here and I don't have a dog in the race, man. Like at the end of the day, I want what's good for this show. Yep. And what's good for this show is close competitive racing, regardless of who it is that's climbed to the top of that podium every weekend. Yep. It does it does not do you and me any favors if Lewis runs off 17 race wins in a championship. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Nobody's happy with that. It does not help if, if Max Verstappen wins 15 of 20 Grand Prix, but there's something to be said for your point about the likability of that team. And I think we're probably upsetting some of the folks that are Red Bull fans because I think if you're a fan of a team, it's very easy to lean into the transgressions Mm -hmm. or turn a blind eye to them. It's cool. It's my team. I'm going to back them. We're in this together. I totally get that. But I just think they aren't as likable and it's either because of Helmut Marco and the way that they they manage their their driver academy or whether it's Christian Horner and the constant stream of quotes that come from him and the fact that he's just a Sky News or Sky Sports Sports content machine that he's the guy they go to constantly, or it's or it's Max Verstappen's father, who's a deeply and disgustingly unlikable human being. Or, and we're going to get to this a little bit later. Of course, Max's ties to the PK family and their unwillingness to to criticize some of the things that's come from Kelly's father over the course of the last year. Like, there's a lot of reasons why it's it can be a little more challenging to like that team. And I just, I promise you. Max winning a championship is far less valuable to the sport than Charles Leclerc Mm -hmm. or a Lewis Hamilton. It just, it honestly just is no matter, let's be honest, he's the best Formula One racing car driver on the planet. But I think you're right. The personality doesn't help. And if they're not likable and they're not personable and they're not charismatic, it, it, really doesn't help to draw viewers. And I think this is where F1 is kind of in this kind of 
on, on a challenging position right now, which is they're experiencing this wave, this absolute wave of sponsorship money and and revenue that's just being thrown at them. And you know, we're going to talk a little bit later today or next Thursday about the fact that they're going to start selling general admission tickets to the Las Vegas Grand Prix with no view of the racetrack at all starting at like $500. Like that's just <laughs> where we are. But I yeah. don't think this is sustainable when people, when people get over that FOMO element that it's cool. Yep, yep. It's a neat personality trait to have to like F1. And when they start focusing on the racing and the racing is not good, you risk losing that audience. Um, and again, I'm not taking anything away from Red Bull. I think they're fantastic. They've got all the resources, all the infrastructure. They built it from scratch back in the mid 2000s. They're just not the most likable team. And I just don't think that's super helpful when it comes to building a long-term sustainable audience. Yeah, and I just want to add a little bit of color to that too. I'm in no means being critical that uh, you know about Christian Horner and Max. I mean, I, I think that Christian, what he's done with that team and that he stuck with this team for as long as he has and what they've done is phenomenal. He's the right person. And what they continue, and what they continue to do. Look to at do. Red Bull Power he, Exactly. He is the right person for that job. No question about it. And when it comes to Max, and I've said this before, like I I think that the way that Max is, is to a certain degree cultural as well. I mean, I'm, I'm half Dutch. I lived there for many years. I, you speak the I language. I speak the language. And when, when I see a lot of what, and, and listen to Max too, and what gets translated into to English, I find that he's far more expressive in Dutch, which you would expect. I mean, his English is excellent, as is all the drivers, uh, basically. I, I just find that when he's speaking in Dutch, he's there, there's a lot more color to what he's saying there there's a lot more description to it and even though he speaks very good with a very minimal accent then he's very easily understood i find that he's not quite as descriptive in in english interesting yeah, but interesting. just the personality i i recognize that and and i i i've seen it a lot in the part of holland fenta where my family comes from and the people so th there's that to take into account as well and again i don't want to take away anything from max i think he's a phenomenal race driver he's 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 a hard guy to race against i mean he doesn't give an inch and it's just kind of like it's like the perfect marriage he's the right guy to put in that car christian's the right guy to lead the team and and i think too christian like he's he's you know i think he speaks his mind and i think he wears his heart on his sleeve a little bit more and you know he goes to bat for his team which is what you want your principal to do we're, we're toto that not to me, not to say that he doesn't, but he's much more polished, I think, than Christian Horner is, especially in the media, and uh, even on like Drive to Survive. Like, I would say it's it, it's manicured, but I think Toto is very, very aware. Maybe that's just the way that he is naturally as as a person, but I think that in the back of his mind, for one reason or another, I think that Toto's very aware. That uh, of how he presents and, and what it is, and you know, I, I just think that you know he comes across as very suave, very you know intelligent, very sophisticated. Not to say that Christian Horner isn't, but Christian definitely has that uh, that edge to him. And you know, let's face it, none of these people got to where they are by being nice. So you know, I feel it's a dog eat dog world, right? I feel like after the past couple of years, every time we lay any or parlay any criticism in the direction of the Milton Keynes Red Bull team. We need to balance that with some credit with some criticism of of Mercedes. And I'll be honest, like I don't love everything that comes out of Max's mouth. And I actually that, mm -hmm. that comment that you make about either how he's translated or how he speaks in English being less descriptive makes total sense to me because you know you speak perfect Dutch, you speak perfect English. I speak 
decent Farsi, but my Farsi is not descriptive. So for instance, if somebody asks me if I like something, my my answer is just a solid yes or a solid no because I don't <laughs> I don't have enough yeah, vocabulary enough. Yep. to to yep. express what I want to say like I would say it in English. So I thought that was an interesting point. But I, I think the other consideration to all of this, and maybe this is a good pivot because there's a really great story that came out, and this is a story later in the outline for, for Mr. Daly, but Jonathan Noble wrote a really great article in motorsport.com a couple of days ago that said F1 ready, or it's titled F1 ready for talks to revise cost cap rules. So you and I sit here, I think we both agree the championship isn't where it should be or where it needs to be from a competitive balance perspective. So I guess the question is, and it's one thing for us to complain about it, but maybe we should balance that with some recommendations on how they can fix it. Now, in this article from Mm -hmm. Jonathan Noble, he makes a really, really great point about the fact that Despite the fact that there is now a cost cap and the entire purpose of the cost cap was to limit the spending of the bigger teams and the hope that you bring the smaller teams closer to the bigger teams. But he writes, and I quote, one of the issues that has gained tractions in recent months is the fact that teams are strictly limited on capital expenditure. So there is not much freedom to improve infrastructure back at base. While teams can build new factories and a specific specific exemption has been allowed in the cost cap rules for new wind tunnels, any other investment needed to improve equipment has to be included in the generic cost cap limit that teams battle to stay under. This means that teams which had the best infrastructure in place at the start of the cap have a locked-in advantage. And those whose investment had fallen fallen behind face the prospect of needing to divert money away from car performance if they want to improve their facilities. It has emerged, he continues, however, that preliminary discussions have taken place about teams being given greater freedoms in terms of capital expenditure so they do not have so they do have the ability to improve facilities at their factories. So this is a fantastic conversation because we sit here talking about how come these smaller teams aren't catching up and how come some of these bigger teams specifically Red Bull are running away and Red Bull under Christian Horner had done a phenomenal job building arguably some of the best infrastructure in the sport and when the cost cap happened that was all locked in they own it they can use it but for a team like Williams and you and I talk a lot about Williams and I've been to that factory many many times that factory was great 23 years ago it is it is a dated <laughs> sorted mess now great but point. one of the considerations now is if I'm Williams and they've got a new team principal I come in and I look around and the factory is terrible and it's in desperate need of an investment, but every dollar I put into a capital expenditure is a dollar I take away from developing the current car. So they have to make a really, really difficult decision. And what Jonathan Noble speaks to is that there's a willingness amongst the teams to start introducing an exception that would allow smaller teams in particular to start investing in capital infrastructure improvements without impacting the cap in a way that would take away from development of the present car. Because right now, if I'm Williams and I want to invest in my factory, well, I'm writing off this year's car. That $20 million investment in the factory, that's 15% of my budget gone just to get some infrastructure that Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari already have. So it is a very, very cool story. So I think that's one way of kind of narrowing that competitive disparity. But this is a long-term, like when you talk about Aston Martin, it feels like you and I have been talking about Aston Martin's new factory since the 1970s, and it's only <laughs> just about to yeah. open. Yeah. But like, yeah. I think this is one thing, but 
from your perspective, any any thoughts on what we could do to help dampen the growing disparity between the haves and the have-nots, which really is Red Bull and everybody else in a sense? Yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, even if you see the gap between them and like Mercedes and Ferrari, and I mean, uh, many people have said after the first two Grand Prix this year that if it was uh, if Red Bull wasn't involved, I mean, it would have been a you know a pretty interesting competitive opening two races of the season. And again, we're not going back to kind of throw shade and hate on on, on Red Bull not. because they, they are where they deserve to be because they've uh, you know they they put in the work, they put in the time, and they've got the perfect car with the perfect driver or drivers, we should say. And uh, you know, phenomenal power unit. So I mean, you you go down that checklist. You're, they're checking all the you know the the boxes in the uh, in, in the right columns, right? But it you know, I, I think there has to be some happy medium found because uh, the one thing that kind of popped into my mind here, and I'm going to sort of take this in a bit of a, di- a different direction, Mark, is when you were talking just now. The thing that uh, that came into my mind when you were talking about Williams was I would have loved to have sat in on that job interview when James Voles was talking to the the, the partners or the hiring committee or whatever at uh, you know at Williams and saying okay here's a guy that's coming from multiple world champions Mercedes state of the art everything going to Grove where you said it was state of the art 23 years ago and going from state of the art everything to like oh you guys still have a Betamax machine here that's great <laughs> you know so not quite that 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 bad but you know what i'm saying is that i you know it kind of makes you wonder what he said okay in order for us to be successful, we need to do A, B, C, and D. And where, if, if this was something that was even brought on the radar by Jos Capito, which, you know, I still find is an interesting situation how he was, you know, sort of very quickly let go and, <clears throat> excuse me, how James came onto the radar in the first place. But I would really... I'd love to get some more insight into, and I know it sounds pretty dry as to the the everyday workings of Williams, but you know, James Voles has a proven record. He did some phenomenal things with Mercedes in in his time there, and you can't. I mean, I can't come to a place that is that say that he's just going to uh, Williams because, you know, it's a vanity appointment that, oh, I'm a Formula One team principal. That's, you know, one of my bucket list uh, items crossed off. I mean, no, I mean, all these people in Formula One are extremely motivated to 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 win and to do well. And I mean, obviously, he knows that this is going to be a massive job, but I, I'd be interested to hear what someone like James Voles would think would be important. But I think somewhere they have to kind of maybe loosen off those strings a little bit. Like you say, allow the smaller teams be able to invest more money in, in capital expenditures to improve uh, you know, their, their, their but facilities. But again, that's, that's long-term, right? So if you continue yeah. reading through this motorsport.com article, uh, Jonathan Noble states, for a rule change to go through for 2024, it would require six of the current team six of the current teams to back it. And I don't think that's an improbability, but it means the rule doesn't actually apply till 2024. So they can't actually start building that new infrastructure in 2024, which means it doesn't get ready. It's not ready for use until 25 or 26. Like these are kind of the more long-term plays. The the other thing, and I'm, I'm certainly not advocating for this, but we've seen it. We saw it at the end of 20, 
which was obviously hugely detrimental to Mercedes and hugely beneficial to Red Bull. But there were small regulation changes at the end of 20 that impacted Mercedes in a pretty significant way and enabled Red Bull to be much more competitive versus the, the Mercedes that year and enabled them to win at least one of the two championships. But again, one of the things that the FIA can do as well, and like I said, I'm not advocating for this, is you start tailoring regulations to restrict the advantage or to dampen the advantage of the top performing team. And obviously you, you can look at some of the things that they're doing. Yeah. Sandbagging. <laughs> you start doing, you start looking at some of those things that they're doing from an yeah. aerodynamic perspective and you start regulating those things out of the sport because if it's a, if it's an outward honest advantage and it's not good for the sport, like you can start to see those things happen. And I think at some point this season, you'll probably hear team principals from other teams starting to advocate for that kind of thing. And again, I don't love it because I, I'm a big fan of the purity of the technical regulations that if a team's developed a car that, that, that meets the spirit of the technical regulations, they shouldn't be shouldn't be punished for that. I mean, it's one thing if you get the teams together and say, yes, we want to make this change for next year, but I don't like uh, an on-the-fly technical directive that's targeted at one specific team because they've developed too much of a of a benefit. But I think we've probably beaten this topic to, to death. We're probably overdue for a break. Yeah, so let's uh, take a quick break. We'll come back on the flip side and a lot of uh, things uh, to discuss. We'll do that in just a moment, so don't go away. We'll be right back. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. So let's let's go back and talk about this one first. This is a, a little bit uh, of uh, an unpleasant one, but three-time F1 world champion Nelson Piquet, who is also the father of um, Max Verstappen's significant uh, other, Kelly, has been fined, uh, sorry, 5 million Brazilian, Brazilian reals or 780,000 pounds for the racist and homophobic comments he made about Lewis Hamilton in an interview back in 2021. Lewis uh, said at the time that um, you know he was he he, he stuck to the high roads as uh, you would accept uh, you would expect from Lewis Hamilton. He said that uh, what he called for archaic mindsets uh, to change. PK did apologize for what he um, claimed uh, later was ill thought out comments when he was talking about uh, the uh, you know Lewis Hamilton, but um, crazy right? So Mark, add a little bit of uh, color to this one. Where, who has fined him this massive amount of money? 780,000 pounds. That is a hell of a lot of money. According to the BBC, the charges against PK were brought by four human rights groups, including Brazil's National LGBT Plus Alliance, who had wanted PK to pay 10 million Brazilian reals for alleged moral damages. And of course, all of this stems back to a podcast, a Brazilian podcast appearance that Nelson PK had made, I think. I feel like it was probably last year, early last year, or maybe the maybe the comments surfaced last year and the interview was the year before. But regardless, he had made some 
outlandishly, outlandishly inappropriate racist and homophobic comments that were clearly directed to Lewis Hamilton at the time. He dismissed them out of hand, and only after intense media pressure did he start to did he start to recognize that what he said was wholly and entirely yeah. and incomprehensibly inappropriate. Of course, at the time, Kelly was questioned about this, and and was obviously um, not one to necessarily take ownership of the comments or condemn her father. And of course, Max was also questioned about this and it wasn't open to condemning uh, Nelson Piquet either. I would be very curious now that a court has awarded damages um, in Brazil. I'll be very curious to hear how Max and Kelly respond in the media. Now, of course, the question is going to be how much of the F1 paddock and how much of the F1 media circus is even going to ask the question, knowing that we've seen F1 media get the cold shoulder from Red Bull in the past. Obviously, last year that happened when some Sky TV presenter made a comment about Abu Dhabi and Sky basically iced them out. So hopefully we'll see more integrity from the media troops. But I'll be very mm. curious to see what the response of Max Verstappen is. Again, Again, Max, we're talking about Max Verstappen's significant others, father, but at the same time, this is so black and white that I don't understand how somebody couldn't condemn this. Like Max Verstappen, wholly inappropriate. He's apologized. He's seeking help. He's going to counseling. He's met with people within those communities. Like, fantastic. Great. That's awesome. But I, I fear that Max Verstappen will continue to try to take an alternative route to this and not and not own it, or at least no one's asking him to own it because it's not his father, it's his significant other's father, but it's so easy to condemn this, especially especially since it's so black and white, and by the fact that it's also been condemned through the court system. So hopefully yeah, hopefully, yeah. we'll see uh, an honest condemnation from, from Max, which I think would go a long way. Yeah, I, you know, Mark, as you were talking there, I was actually scrolling through our media files. I do have a couple of audio clips from the time when we talked about this. So should we roll one of those now? Of course, of course. Just to give it, yeah, let, let's let's play one of those. What Nelson Piquet Sr. said was completely unacceptable and was rightly called out and roundly called out. And I think that's the important point, is almost everyone in Formula One and certainly every team just said this is not acceptable. We will not put up with this. And now, of course, he has issued some degree of an apology. Uh, But I think the point that we, if we can take any positive from it, is that it was condemned absolutely universally. Except, except by Max Verstappen. Yeah, and that was uh, Matt Bishop. Who's with Aston Martin? Is he not uh, these days, or he was at the time? Yeah, he's left. No longer. Okay. Yeah. So then, so this, you know, that was his comments at the time. You know, back in twenty twenty one, and then this following uh, one is a clip that uh, that I got from from Sky Sports. So let's uh, listen to that as well. Well, Leclerc tweeted this, knowing Lewis since I arrived in Formula One, he has always been extremely respectful to me and everyone that he meets. Those values should be the standard towards anybody around the world. The comments made towards Lewis should not be tolerated and we should continue to push for a more diverse and inclusive sport. We need to remove discriminatory behaviour and racist language in any form from not just our sport, but our society as well. 
So there you go. Okay, I think we've talked about uh, this one uh, enough. I don't have anything further to, to to add, and I just hope that the people that haven't done the right thing yet do the right thing now. I mean, it's it's never too late, especially to stand up against you know hateful comments and attitudes uh, that that people have. So, anyways, we'll uh, just uh, leave it at that for now. Next one. How is commercial success has fueled Aston Martin's on track for F1 speed? This is uh, from Adam Cooper over at motorsports.com. Um, interesting, right? I mean, it, it's funny. I mean, we've talked for a long time that that Red Bull, one way or another, tends to take up a lot of real estate on this uh, this program. But what is interesting is how Aston Martin has started to take, you know, start start to take away a little bit of that real estate from from Red Bull, especially through the first couple of races of this year. And compared to the last two seasons, because I mean, you and I, Mark, we went in all in heavily <laughs> with, with, with with Aston Martin. And they haven't lived up to maybe what were our perhaps maybe a, a tad unrealistic <laughs> expectations after they rebranded uh, from from Racing Point a couple of years ago. But the point is that a couple of races into this year, after you know, and let, let's give them credit, let's give them you know some props. They did improve, and they had some. They, they got more and more competitive as twenty twenty two went on. But this year, they're making news, and they're getting coverage on this show for the right reasons. So, Mark, why don't you take this one uh, away and explain a little bit further? Yeah, I think the main takeaway here is that not only is Aston Martin beginning to excel on the track and maybe this was a bit of a delayed delayed start because i think you and i had high hopes for this team in 21 which was the first full calendar year that you and i did together and we came back very optimistic last year and then this year we were like we're going to take a much more conservative cautious approach to our blossoming Aston Martin fandom, but they, <laughs> they seem to be excelling. And one of the things that Adam yep. Cooper writes here is that the team is now generating roughly eight times the sponsorship income that it did in 2020, the last year that it ran as Aston Martin, which speaks to a couple of things that one, the Aston Martin brand is very, very attractive to potential sponsors to be associated with a marquee supercar brand like that is very, very helpful. But further, when you start having success on track and you get that additional screen time and you get that exposure of being on a on a formula one podium it's it's very very helpful the article also speaks to the fact that a lot of the success at least on the commercial side is down to the fact that the team had made a hire a couple of years ago bringing aboard 59 year old american sports marketing veteran jeff slack now incidentally prior to meeting lawrence stroll in 2020 he knew nothing about formula one but he had spent several decades in the sports marketing and sports consulting world and he's credited in major ways with working to bring on a lot of these major sponsors. So of course, a lot of these sponsors that are on the Aston Martin car now were there three months ago before Fernando had his hugely successful start to the championship, but he'd done a really good job of painting the picture of why they should partner with Aston Martin. And of course, when you have a chairman like Lawrence Stroll, who's willing to invest in the team in the way he has, and the fact that they're willing to invest in the infrastructure to build really strong, high-performance Formula One cars, it it helps to entice sponsors in a way that 
might not otherwise be possible. So just a really good article. And it just speaks really to the fact that the team is beginning to mm-hmm. experience really strong commercial success. So being able to attract sponsors, be able to generate revenues at the exact same time that they're able to translate some of those significant infrastructure investments that Lawrence has made over the past few years um, into a winning racing team. And of course, Again, Fernando, two podiums in two races this year. Lawrence or Lance looked really good in the first race. DNF'd in the last race, but that was down to a mechanical failure. And he probably would have had a really strong points finish if not for that. But yeah, it just really speaks to how quickly the circumstances can change if you have the right leadership who's willing to make the right investments. Because if we flash back to 2018, this was a team that was in administration. And administration is a form of bankruptcy or is the form of bankruptcy in the United Kingdom. And he, Lawrence Stroll at the time, was able to successfully negotiate a buyout of the team with the promise that he would keep the jobs. And furthermore, that he would continue to invest in the company. He's done exactly that. They raced as Racing Point for two years, which was an intentionally vague and uh, very vague and I'm trying to think identity list team as he lined up all the properties, the intellectual property to become Aston Martin. And of course, he's also been investing in the road car side of the Aston Martin brand. So just great news all around. Great news all around for Aston Martin. Yeah, well, let me put it to this you uh, to you this way, Mark. If you were working for that, um, you know, for for that business, be it either the road car division or the Formula One team, and you've been put in that position, you know, either, you know, directly by Lawrence Stroll or pretty close, or he had some sort of, you know, oversight in your 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 appointment. Would you really want to have that conversation with Lawrence that you're not getting you're not getting the job done because you know. I just don't get the 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 uh, the impression that Lawrence, you know, has very much latitude for <laughs> the people that aren't uh, delivering. And of course, it's taken a while, which you would expect. I mean, they they've put the you know, invested the money, and it's taken a bit of time to get there. And certainly, it took you know they they made the bold choice to to change tack, and you know, halfway through the season last year, and you know, the the car that finished the year was radically different than the car that they started the season with, but. You know, the point is slowly but surely we're seeing the fruits of that labor. We're seeing we're seeing this all come to fruition now that it's it's taken the time, but the investments have been made and things have been allowed to, you know, they've needed time to grow. So we're seeing the results of that. And, you know, I, I'm finally feeling, you know, my, my enthusiasm that I have for this team is starting to match up with the reality that we've seen from Aston Martin. And I know that two races is not a great sample size to choose from. It's only two you know, it's not even back-to-back weekends, but close enough. I mean, it's two races at the beginning of a year, but I mean, they've been they've been solid. I mean, Lance's DNF was was unfortunate, but I mean, what we'd seen in qualifying for both Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, and in the races themselves, I mean, they they look good. So that was just, you know, there's now of course a bit of a question mark around reliability. But again, we're two races into the season, but in general, I'm 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 feeling more positive and excited about this team. I debated about whether I should put this on the outline or not, but the British press, the British, I shouldn't say the British press, that's that's unfair. The British tabloids last week begun running a story that said that Lawrence Stroll, quote unquote, might not be happy with Fernando Alonso after his solid start to the F1 season. And they 
They credit a Formula One observer who had claimed that Aston Martin team owner Lawrence Stroll was likely unhappy watching Fernando Alonso upstage his son Lance, to which I will just say this. Lawrence Stroll is a ruthless business person who spent huge amounts <laughs> yeah. of money to sign Fernando Alonso. He will be popping as much champagne as anybody. And quite frankly, if it was the right thing to do for the competitiveness of this team, I think he would very happily part ways with Lance. If Fernando has a phenomenal year and Lance struggles, there will be very, very difficult family conversations at the Christmas dining table this coming December. <laughs> And if Fernando is successful next year and Lance is not, Lance will be out of a seat that I do not think for a second that Lawrence Stroll is upset that Fernando Alonso is having a huge, in, having gobs of success or this early. It just, the fact that Fernando is having so much success just reflects incredibly well on, on Lawrence Stroll's stewardness of this stewardship of this team mm -hmm. that he was able to identify somebody that was in his 40s could extract this much value from this car. He hasn't driven a car with a... Fernando hasn't driven a Mercedes-powered car since 2007. He drove the Ferrari after that. He drove the Honda-powered McLaren after that. He drove the Renault-powered car after that. He was able to seamlessly step into this car and start scoring podiums. It took... It took Daniel Ricciardo two years to start getting to grips with the Mercedes-powered McLaren, and he still never got it. Like what what he's doing isn't unprecedented, but it deserves acknowledgement. and And Lawrence Stroll deserves all the credit in the world for signing a forty-plus-year-old driver to a risky deal. And mm -hmm. any suggestion that he's upset that he's outperforming his son is just purely absurd. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm sure that the the conversations, uh, at least the way that uh, that I see it, um, would be you know Lawrence uh, saying to Lance is like, why can't you beat this guy? <laughs> You're younger yeah, than him. Yeah. You know, we've built this team around you. This is this should be your team. Is like. Why is this guy beating you? You should be beating him. It's like, come on. So again, I said earlier that there's some certain places I'd like to be a fly on the wall and see what's going on behind the scenes. I'd, I'd like to know what some of the conversations between Lawrence and Lance are. Because I mean, you know, Lance has has shown it, and I mean, you know, from from time to time, I mean, they had you know a decent haul of points in Bahrain to start the season. Okay, Fernando gets uh, a P three again in Saudi Arabia last weekend, and Lance DNFs. I mean, if if he finished, they would have taken another handful of uh, you know a nice big haul of points uh, back from the Middle East, but uh, it, it didn't happen. But yeah, I, I think that uh, you know I, I agree with you on that that uh, that call, Mark. That I think that. The, the, those are absurd uh, comments. Okay, let's move along. You teased it nicely at the beginning of the show, talking about Air Max Day, which you know I never knew that was a thing, and I didn't realize that that Air Max had been around since what 1987. I know they've been around for a long baby. time. Oh my God! Wow. Anyway, so this is an interesting one, and uh, we go back to uh, Max Verstappen, who was uh, set to launch his own clo uh, clothing and apparel brand called Max One, which is now getting some some pushback apparently, uh, according to an article in uh, De Limburger and so the, the the plan to call it Max One has uh, been you know hasn't found too much favor with uh, with Nike because they feel that it's uh, too close to their own Air Max uh, shoe range so Mark I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because you're big into this the business side of sports so you know like take it away you're you're a big Nike guy as well right 
Yeah, huge, huge Nike guy. In fact, this this makes sense to me on a, on a couple of grounds. It feels like this year Nike has been going above and beyond in terms of protecting its intellectual property. In January, they sued Lululemon. Um, at roughly the same time, they sued Bathing Ape. Um, they've continued to go after other companies in recent history that they feel is compromising the integrity of their brand and their patents and the design of their products. So it kind of makes sense. This one's particularly unique because they're not going after the design, the comp- composition, the material of a product, the likeness of a product. They're going after the line purely based on, on the name. And the name, like you said, is going to be Max One. That will be the brand name of the apparel, uh, pre- presumably performance apparel, although I'm sure there'll be some casual wear in there as well. But the plan, according to planetf1.com, the plan was to call it Max One, which Nike is taking significant exception to because they believe it steps on the toes, pun intended, of their Air Max shoe range. And there's some interesting quotes here. The report states both signs, and this is from the legal case, both signs contain the word Max, albeit in a different place. In the trademarks invoked, the elements Air and Max have equal weight in the overall impression. In the contested sign, the emphasis is on the word Max. The number one will be regarded as a specification of Max. To that extent, the signs agree. The goods in question, Nike and Max, are partly identical and partly similar visually and orally. There's a certain degree of similarity between the signs. So I won't read any farther, but ultimately, it's very clear that Nike's upset about this, that they are possibly going to contest this in court, and they will push very, very hard to protect the integrity of their brand. So it's unfortunate for Max, who, of course, had hoped to launch his own brand of clothing, as so many different drivers do. But if he does, he may have to. He might have to adopt a different brand name. Okay, so just be careful when we launch our own merch that uh, you know we, we don't don't get sued by Do Nike. You know, he, people ask <laughs> us about that all the time. Actually, they they ask us if we've ever had trouble with Ferrari. Like, oh, you're you're compromising their brand. You're stealing their name. I'm like. You, you know what that word means, right? In Italian, that it's that team. does not mean. Yes, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I mean, anyways. if not, not to take anything away from from these guys, but if WTF one hasn't had an issue with like their like their branding and stuff yeah. like that, uh, you know, <laughs> like yeah, I know it, it's a, it could be a bit of a, a gray area, but I mean, scuderia is. I mean, that is just a, you know Italian word that'd be just like um, you know. Anyhow, uh, yeah. By the way, just to- while we're on that, just looking to the live chat, Ray in San Diego, <laughs> use his dad's name instead. The Yost Yeggings. <laughs> there you go. I don't know. I'm I'm not sure if I really want to pull on a pair of those. You know, the the Max One. You know, be it an infringement on the Nike totally, copyrights. Totally. You know, it, it rolls off the tongue a little bit than the the Yoss Yeggings. <laughs> Thanks for that, Ray. That uh, <laughs> that's a good one. Okay, let's. Uh, well, actually, let's uh, take a, a little uh, break here. We'll jump back in a moment, and then we're not going to talk about Red Bull for once. We're going to talk about someone else who's also kind of immediately Red Bull adjacent and that's Alpha Tower. We'll talk about that in just a moment, so don't go away. We'll be right back.
All right, welcome back. So the next one uh, up on the on the slate here comes to uh, us uh, via the RacingNews365.com. And this is an article by Jake Nickel and Don Daniels. And uh, the... Um, the, uh, the the title of this one is Marco Hints at Possible Alpha Towery Change. So this was an exclusive chat that uh, Helmut Marco had with uh, RacingNews365.com. And uh, he says that uh, he insisted that Alpha Towery is not for sale, but that doesn't mean that changes won't be made. So this is, this is interesting and, uh, you know, you know, kudos to them for getting uh, Marco to sit down for uh, you know for a chat. So, what is Helmet proposing, or what's he hinting at that might might happen at Alpha Tauri, and how might this team look different, or how might it be different? It's a story that you and I talked about a, a few weeks ago. That obviously there have been pr- some pretty significant changes at the very top of the, I don't want to say pyramid because that infers shady business dealings, but there have been some (laughs) not insignificant changes to the executive leadership at at Red Bull. And I think one of the things that the Red Bull Formula One team were asked to look at was what they want to do or what should be done with the Alpha Tauri Formula One team. And of course, this is for all intents and purposes, and you've heard me talk about it before. This is Red Bull's B team that is on the grid for no other reason than to support in a number of different ways their their sister team. But some of the considerations were, of course, selling the team, which got me very excited when we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And I think we even titled the podcast episode after that. Some other considerations were to consolidate the operations of the team into some existing facilities or build new facilities for the team in England. I think one of the things that is spoken to in this article is that as an Italian-based team, it is very difficult to recruit and retain top talent talent, most of whom are based in the UK. And the thought is that if they move the team to the UK, it would be easier to recruit and retain top talent, especially on the engineering side. Um, And then the other thought was also just to do a much closer integration job. So the one sense is you sell it. The other hand sense is you move it to the UK and build new facilities. Or alternatively, you move it to the UK, but you integrate it with as many of the existing Red Bull infrastructure and facilities as you possibly can. Of course, they're pretty well built out in Milton Keynes. The other thought, though, is that it's currently branded after the Red Bull clothing line. Alpha Tauri, unbeknownst to almost all of us, is, is a clothing line. But as Marco Helmet says in Helmet Marco says in this article, that clothing line is only available in three or four countries anywhere in the world. So to use it as a use the Formula One team as a marketing vehicle for a clothing line that virtually nobody on the planet can buy seems a little bit odd. So while they might consider selling the team, I think they've ruled that out because as Helmut Marco says, we need it, which I think is total BS. Like you need it as much as any other team. No other team gets a B team. But the other consideration is obviously you sell it, which they won't do. You move the team to England or you rename it. I think there's a very strong possibility that given the dilapidated state of their Italian facility, I feel that they will ultimately move the team to the UK and consolidate it to some degree with the existing Red Bull infrastructure. But I also think a name change is is on the way. I don't think they will revert to Toro Rosso, but I think they will be very much open to naming it after a corporate partner. And it might not be this offseason, but it will be for 2025 for sure. 
Can they go back to Minardi? They were Minardi way back in the day, right? <laughs> somebody, somebody on Reddit made that comment too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you kind of like. Well, I mean, if you've been around Formula One and watching for for a long time, you'll kind of get that uh, reference. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see what uh, you know that that name change could be, especially if it becomes like you know sort of a tie in with a corporate partner. I wonder what those uh, those possibilities like Ford, that could be. Ford possibly, yeah. or one of Ford's subbrands, yeah. yeah. Well, then uh, that that kind of leads to another kind of interesting conversation, right? You know, like th- then does it come become like a branding exercise? Like we've talked about quite a bit over the last couple of years with Alfa Romeo Sauber, right? And we're going to talk about Audi in a minute. So there, there's that uh, becomes like a nice uh, segue as well. So that's kind of interesting. No, I, I, my, my curiosity has peaked. You know, I wish they would kind of just get on with it instead of sort of teasing us and uh, let us uh, let us know what's uh, coming down the chute. So, you know, talking about uh, Audi, apparently they've uh, teased an announcement that's going to be coming up at the Shanghai International Motor Show and uh, all they said that uh, you know for people to expect um, quote unquote more news about their upcoming F1 project um, that they will announce at the Shanghai International Automobile Industry Exhibition that will uh, take place uh, next month so you know I hate teasers. I, I'm not a patient person when it comes to that sort of stuff. So, you know, Marco hinting about that stuff for uh, Alpha Tauri and then, uh, you know, Audi hinting at these sorts of things. Oh, that's 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 going to that's going to bug me now. Um, so just another one that, uh, you know, that we'll talk about here. And then I know you got a couple of, um, you know, MotoGP stories to you know, end the show off there. So we'll end the show with uh, with MotoGP Corner. So this is interesting. So Atlantic City has approved a Formula One spec track development in New Jersey. So this is uh, kind of interesting that uh, that Atlantic City or the mayor of Atlantic City has officially signed off on a development project that would include a 2.4 mile Formula One spec racing circuit. Now that is, you know, kind of Kind of surprising, but I mean, we we still see these things. We are talking about, um, you know, just uh, the the possibility of um, you know a new track in London. What was that? Like only two weeks ago, and it's kind of interesting that this is uh, you know sort of come up. I mean, London, I can see, but Atlantic City, this to me is kind of like completely come out of the left field. So. There's a, a disused airfield at Bader Park, so it's going to be completely transformed and redeveloped. Um, it, it's going to be a massive uh, project. It's $3 billion of development. It's going to include living areas, retail space, and then a, also apparently a Formula One specification track. So uh, Atlantic City's Mayor Marty Small Sr. signed off on the development proposed by Deem Enterprises a couple of days ago. Uh, but here's the catch, right? If this goes ahead, the the, the project itself is going to take anywhere from six to nine or ten years to com- uh, complete. And um, they will apparently, you know, and I've completely forgotten about this, but they uh, New Jersey had originally announced to host a Formula One street race at Port Imperial from 2013, and uh, that announcement was made in 2011, and that race was uh, what was cancelled. I, You know, honestly, Mark, I, I don't remember that uh, announcement uh, being made, so there, there's your tie-in, so yeah, I, I've dropped the ball on this one. Before the show, <laughs> Anyways, my friend, before the show. 
Yeah, before I, I should have read the notes. Yes, ex- exactly. No, no, I mean okay. that that happened before you started the podcast. Not oh, before like that. the show. Oh, I wasn't I taking a shot at you on the air. Oh, I don't expect here you to you remember. Go. You were being that supportive of me, and then then, then yeah, I, I blew it up and I ruined way. it. I took it the wrong way. And to be way. fair, Bernie was signing <laughs> a contract with a new race organizer every single week. That was his shtick, oh, right? Yeah. Like on oh, Monday, yeah. he's signing yeah. a deal in India, and then he's signing a deal in Kazakhstan, and then he's in New Jersey to sign a, a New York race. Like he was all over the place. None of the races. Oh ever yeah, I, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, when when somebody from Atlantic City, uh, uh, you know, showed up, he's like, oh yeah, I'm sure they got money there. You know, be in Atlantic City. And of course, you know, there's just all smoke and mirrors, probably more on his side, but you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just like, we, just by the way, pay me money. we have about 37 listeners in New Jersey, and I am probably going to alienate them all by saying this. I have no desire to ever go to Atlantic City. <laughs> and even if there was an F1 oh race, I still wouldn't go to Atlantic City. I've never been, but just based on the stereotypes and what I know of that place, I have no desire to go. And a Formula One race there would not change that at all. So I just got an email from the cast of Jersey Shore, and they are not happy <laughs> with you, Hamilton. <laughs> you're 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 in big trouble. So why why don't we try back out of this one and let's fire up MotoGP Corner? Welcome to MotoGP Corner. I am your host, Mark Hamilton. We are now one race into the twenty twenty three MotoGP Championship, and what? a weekend it was and it wasn't i'm afraid all good the good news is we had a sprint race which was incredibly competitive we had a grand prix championship race on sunday which again was fantastic some very close racing but we also had some shock moments on track in practice at t10 Paula Spargaro, the KTM rider, had a beautiful, beautiful, a brutal crash where he skid along the ground at roughly 200 kilometers an hour before coming to rest at a tire wall. The problem, of course, was that his bike bounced along the ground and came to rest on him. And now there is footage of this. You can see him sliding towards the wall. You can see the bike following him. You can't see the moment where the bike makes impact with him, but it's pretty obvious it does. Now, the unfortunate thing was Paul Spargo suffered severe injuries. He has a severe spinal trauma and lung contusion amongst other injuries. But the good news is that there's no threat of permanent spinal damage. And from a from a brain perspective, he's been deemed okay. So, of course, there's always fear that there's neurological damage, there's spinal damage. And while he suffered severe spinal trauma, he is going to be okay, but he will not be back to race anytime soon. Now, of course, like mm. we've talked about before, every single MotoGP race this year will be pre- prefaced by a sprint race on the Saturday. So, we'll have qualifying, which will set the grid for both the sprint race and the Grand Prix. The sprint race is just 12 laps. This weekend, Mark Marquez on his comeback tour qualified on pole, but unfortunately on lap six, on lap six of the sprint race had a B sorry, not the sprint race on lap six of the actual race had a brutal, brutal made mistake, made, made a brutal mistake going into a corner. Um, assumed there was more heat in the front tire. He was on the hard fronts at the time, made contact with another dry rider and 
exited the race. So both the two of them, man, I'm really struggling with my words today, but, uh, <laughs> but the two of them, basically Mark Marquez was going into a corner, misjudged the corner, went in too hot, didn't have enough heat in his front tire and took out another rider. The other rider was very, very hurt. Um, fortunately he will probably be back next weekend, but it looks like Mark Marquez may have broken his hand. Now, the other news is that Mark Marquez has received a major penalty, which will go into effect for the next Grand Prix in Argentina. But as it turns out, if Mark Marquez misses the race in Argentina because of an injury, that penalty won't apply to the subsequent race. That that penalty will only apply to Argentina based on the way that the rules are written. So it was a very, very interesting race weekend. We saw the horror of what can happen with a uh, we saw the horror of what can happen in MotoGP because it can be very, very dangerous. It's why these significant runoff periods are so, so good. Fortunately, Paul Espargo is going to be good. Mark Marquez looked like his comeback tour was in full force, qualified a pole, made a brutal mistake during the Grand Prix. Unfortunately, that took out that took out another rider. Um, and we also saw another rider, and I don't have the notes in front of me, but we did see another rider have a fall and break his collarbone during the sprint race itself. So one of the criticisms of Dorna, who is the FOM equivalent, was that you might be overtaxing the riders in a world where they have to compete in a 12-lap sprint race every single weekend because you're putting them in a position where they're more likely to sustain injuries and influence the outcome of the championship. So as it stands right now, I'll quickly bring up the championship. Right now, Francesco Bagnaia is leading the championship with 37 points, followed by Maverick Vinales of Aprilia Racing, of course, Bagnaia races for Ducati. All the great riders seem to drive for to ride for Ducati right now. Maverick Vignola's of Aprilia Racing finished with 25 points. And Marco Bezzecchi of Mooney VR46 Racing Team. That is Valentino Rossi's team. The team he owns and manages finishes third with 16 points. So we are very early in a very long championship. But we saw both the best and the worst of Formula of MotoGP this weekend. We saw some fantastic riding in the sprint race. We saw some fantastic riding in the actual Grand Prix. We saw a brutal injury in, in the practice. We saw another really bad injury with a broken collarbone in the sprint race. And of course, we saw a rider in Mark Marquez make a bad mistake in the Grand Prix that influenced the outcome of both him and another rider. So we talk about MotoGP struggling for viewership and struggling for media attention. This probably isn't going to be the type of weekend that's going to do this. And I saw a comment from the race.com reporter, Simon Patterson this weekend that was speaking to the sprint race and like, look, the sprint race is really great, but it's only going to benefit existing viewers. It's not going to attract new viewers to the sport. So MotoGP weekend, one done. Cool. Well, thanks for the update, uh, Mark. And yeah, I, I did see that, uh, you know, the replay of uh, Espargo's uh, crash there. And that was, it was just nasty. You know, I, I, I didn't realize that it was bad as it was. And um, I, I just happened to see a couple of things pop up on my timeline when I was doom scrolling through Twitter. And I thought, oh, I'll go check it out. And, you know, honestly, I, I didn't watch the whole thing because I, I don't usually like to see things, especially when you find out subsequently that somebody was uh, injured uh, quite badly. But um, anyway, so thanks for bringing us up to date on that. I don't have anything else to add. I think that we've uh, gone through uh, everything tonight. So Hammy, last word uh, goes to you, my friend. 
If you like what we do and you listen on Spotify, we would be so honored if you could give us a rating. It's super easy. It only takes two seconds. As long as you've listened to one episode, you can give us a rating. And if you listen on Apple, a rating and a review would be amazing. We always read the reviews out on this show because we enjoy them and we greatly appreciate the time that you take to deliver those. Thanks so much. Thank you as well. And um, yeah, if you want to get in touch, send us a tweet at ScooterF1Pod. And if you want to send us an email at ScooterF1Pod at gmail.com. Easiest and quickest way to get in touch with us. As we sign off, just want to give a, a shout out to Ray, Connie, and Daniel hanging out on the live stream on YouTube. Thank you guys for spending your Sunday night with us. And that's it. That's a wrap. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com